So you guys just couldn't wear a goddamn mask. Yep, this is Victor Bruce Terry. No, I am not about to go on one of my political rants. I heard the feedback. I know. Episode one. I got a little too uh, Sean Haney on you. I uh, heard it from some of my close friends, even my dad. And he's not this often, but he was right. I may have went a little overboard in episode one, but my goal is to talk about sports. This is a sports podcast with some trolling involved. The problem is sports and politics keep seeming to mix over into one another. And again, I'm not even going to talk about politics in this episode. I'm not going to point fingers i'm not gonna single anyone out all i'm saying is the news broke today that the big 10 is planning to cancel the upcoming football season according to the dan patrick show he said the big 10 and pac-12 will cancel their football seasons since this news broke There's been a lot of he said, he said. Apparently, there's talks about not canceling the season, but delaying it. There's already been a lot of debate, a lot of backlash about this forthcoming decision. We still have to see what the other Power 5 schools are going to do, including the ACC the SEC, the Big 12. But I'm pissed off because we shouldn't even be having this talk. We shouldn't even be having a debate on whether or not false sports should go on. Because if we had handled this situation from the start, it wouldn't have prolonged as much as it did and again once again this pandemic is affecting another way of life it's affecting another aspect of sports that people love and that is what i'm going to talk about in this first segment i am going to look at this from a player's perspective what this means to me I heard you guys. I'm not going to get too much into my political beefs. If you want me to shut up and stick to sports, that's fine. That's what I want to do. However, I hope you had that same energy when in the upcoming days, when networks like Fox, like CNN, like CBS, or politicians start to give their opinion on sports. I hope you had that same energy with them. And I'll start it off for you. From Agent Orange down to networks from Fox to CNN to all those political people, shut the fuck up and stick to politics. It's not a one-way street. The NCAA, the schools, the universities, the sports programs will handle the upcoming fall season, will handle on what to do with the 2020 football season. 
This news really upset me, though. Now, I'll be honest with you. I am not a die-hard college sports fan like I am with professional leagues and teams. My favorite team is the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. But I do love college football as a whole. As a sports fan, I just love the game of football. And I'm more upset because I won't be able to see those primetime Notre Dame games against their bitter rivals like USC, like Stanford, like Michigan State. I'm upset for other big-time rivalry games like Michigan State and Michigan, like Michigan and Ohio State, one of the best rivalries in not only college football, but the sports world. I'm going to miss the Iron Bowl if that doesn't happen this year. Again, nothing is set in stone, but this latest announcement, this latest chapter in how coronavirus is affecting the sports world doesn't make me optimistic. And to me, college sports have already been hindered. They've already been more so affected than professional leagues because the beauty of college sports, and I'm not talking about the NCAA. The NCAA is a corrupt organization that has been profiting off of student athletes and their talents for decades. I'm talking about the teams, the schools, the fans. College sports has already been more hindered than professionals because the beauty of college sports is the innocence of it all. For the most part, besides the illegal off-the-book deals, these players are playing for the love of the game. They are playing for school pride. Students that go to those games that root for their school teams, take pride, are passionate, are committed to those teams. I never got to experience that as a college student because I first started off at UMass, and UMass is definitely the worst football school in all of America, and the rest of their sports, they're not so great in either. Then when I went to Oswego, D3, no football team. I'm not getting behind a D3 school when it's meaningless. But my friends that went to Villanova, my friends that went to bigger schools like Syracuse, like North Carolina, they became highly invested fans because they attended that university or they attended that college and they took pride in their school's team and how well they did. Without those fans in attendance, I really think it takes away from part of the beauty of college sports, from how the fans are able to rush down onto the field after a big win, after a big upset. Yes, we know how much money teams and athletics bring into the school. We understand the big-time deals from television networks. But the game itself, you have student athletes, still technically amateurs, competing at a high level to bring 
not only a victory home, but to bring pride back to that school, back to that university. The fans being as committed as they are to their team, to their school. There's something special about it. I feel bad for the players that may lose out on their final season. Because for many of them, it's their final year of playing that sport. I feel bad for the lower divisions that have already gotten their season either canceled or delayed. Some of those players may never put on a football helmet again. That's who I feel bad for. I don't feel bad for the universities. I don't feel bad for the colleges, the higher-ups, the NCAA. I feel bad for those type of players, for the fans. For the students that go to those colleges that have a top tier team. The ones that devote their weekend to supporting and rooting on their teams. Their schools. Now to me, again I'm not going to debate whether or not college football should happen this fall. Because apparently the Big Ten and the other Power Five conferences are worrying about a heart issue that is linked to COVID and they're worried about their players safety there is no perfect way to attack this there is no perfect game plan we've seen it we've seen that there's no perfect strategy to combat the pandemic In my eyes, it's a simple solution. To me, I agree with the idea of conference-only games. I think that players across the board, players from all the schools, all the athletes, very similar to the NFL, should have the option to opt out of playing this upcoming year if you are going to hold it in the fall. But their years of eligibility should remain in check and be pushed back a year as well. Now, I don't know how difficult that makes things going forward. Personally, I don't know how many players I would expect to opt out. There seems to be a unity across the board, both coaches and and a lot of college players that feel that they should at least attempt to play this upcoming year, this upcoming fall. But I would give that option to the athletes and again, push back their years of eligibility. So if a senior was entering his final year of eligibility and opted out, then he should be able to play one more year next year. And I said this about last year's March Madness as well. I don't think it's fair that a lot of these athletes, those collegiate basketball players, missed a year of eligibility, a year of playing in college, a year of March Madness. To me, their eligibility should be pushed back a year. 
Whether they decide to take up that offer, that's still up to them. But I think the offer should be out there. I don't think losing a year of your collegiate career should be lost due to something out of everyone's control. However, if I'm a player with a high level of talent, with a high draft stock, I look at this as a win-win. And I'll tell you why. Listen, Trevor Lawrence has to come out and say that he wants to play. He is a quarterback for one of the more successful programs currently. He is the quarterback for Clemson football. They are, once again, one of the favorites to represent the ACC in not only the conference championship game, but the national title game. But let's not be naive. Trevor Lawrence is not playing just for the love of the game anymore. He has a career in football. He's moving on to the NFL. If I'm him, I'm in no rush whatsoever to get back onto the football field. I'm in no rush to play this upcoming year. I'm set. There were plenty of scouts, plenty of experts that had him going number one in this year's past NFL draft. He is expected, he is the overall consensus to be the number one draft pick in next year's NFL draft. Why risk your stock with another year of college football? What more could you do to help your stock? You're the top quarterback in next year's draft class. You won Clemson a national championship two years ago against Alabama. Yes, it would be a tough ending to an otherwise extraordinary career at Clemson if your final game as a Clemson Tiger was that championship performance against LSU last year. But guess what? You have a promising NFL future ahead of you. And it's not just Trevor Lawrence. Justin Fields is another name that I feel that shouldn't be too concerned about playing a 2020 college football season. And listen, either they play in the fall or they don't play at all. Because if the season gets pushed to the spring... That's that's even more dangerous to your stock because you're going to go from a full college football season, get drafted, and then do a 180 and go to training camp just a couple months later. There's no way your body could handle that. And that's another thing. If you play in the season that may not even finish, the risk is still high that you could get hurt and that could potentially hurt your draft stock. Football is a physical game. It is a dangerous game. We know this. You do not need another season, a possibly meaningless season of hits. Another season of hits to take a higher toll on your body. 
Listen, I'm never one to live in fear when it comes to sports. Injuries happen. It's the chance you take every time you step onto the football field. But I'm just saying that if I was Trevor Lawrence, it would be a win-win for me. I either have another chance at another national title or I don't have to play this season. I get a head start on my NFL career, hire an agent as soon as I can, and start preparing, start learning, start training for the NFL. And again, not many guys have that option. Not many guys have that luxury like a Trevor Lawrence, like a Justin Fields does. And again, I do feel bad for the players that don't have that option. I hope that there is a college football season for those type of players. I hope there's a college football season so that I can turn on college football games to start off my Saturday. I hope that there are college football games so that I can see teams like Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State. Will I be crushed if there's not a season? No, because another aspect of college football that I can't stand is that there's not much parity in it. Yes, anything can happen. Yes, the games still need to be played. However, if I had to bet, I would say that at least one of the two teams playing in that final game of the season, the national championship, is coming from the SEC conference. And there's a good chance that the other one is either Ohio State or Clemson. I hope I'm wrong. I hope this is the year of an underdog, of an upset. But until I see that, college football has the least parity of all the sports. But I digress. Getting back to the main topic. If I had to predict what happens next, I think the Big Ten will come out and say that they are not canceling the season. They are postponing it. They are delaying it. I think that we're not going to see all the conferences make a decision at the same time. I think that if I had to guess, SEC would be the last to make a change because of it being that powerhouse conference. I think ACC will also wait to the last minute before doing anything too drastic. There's going to be a great divide between the two sides. The side that thinks the season should be played as planned. And the other side of the people who think that it is a bad idea to have college football this fall. I do not think the conversation is done by any means. It will be interesting to see what unfolds. And finally, I do not expect this to have a great impact on what the NFL decides to do this upcoming season. 
the deadline has come and passed for players to opt out of this upcoming year. I still have no idea what the NFL intends to do with this upcoming year. I think I know more about astrophysics than I do about the NFL's plan to combat the pandemic currently going on. And that's frightening because, once again, out of all the professional sports leagues, they had the most time to come up with a plan. And I still don't know what the hell it is. The NFL should be very nervous, though, about the upcoming deadline for referees to opt out of officiating games for this upcoming season. They have until Thursday to opt out of refereeing this year. If they decide to opt out, they will get a $30,000 stipend and a guarantee job in 2021 however the nfl should be terrified of how many referees decide to opt out the nfl should be more concerned with the amount of officials that decide to opt out than they were for the amount of players they thought were going to opt out and i'll tell you why Really, you knew none of the big-name, big-name stars were going to opt out of this upcoming NFL season if there is to be one. Too much money on the line to give up. And in the NFL, there's enough star power to go around that even if a big-name player did decide to sit out this upcoming year, the NFL still would have survived even with one of their stars or a couple of their stars sitting out this year. I fear that with a large amount of referees, a large amount of officials sitting out, we may have a repeat of, remember, replacement refs? I mean, let's just look at the current refs the NFL has now. They already do a horrible job. Some of them are not even qualified to be NFL referees. The amount of calls that are missed, the amount of non-calls that are called, the amount of calls that these referees still miss, the calls on the field that should be upheld or overturned that are missed even with replay, even with booth reviews, is astounding. Regular NFL referees suck. I'm terrified for round two of replacement refs. As a fan, I can handle the outcome of a game to be determined by the quality of play. I can handle as a fan, I can admit as a fan when a team has better players than my team does. I will freak out on my organization for that being the case, but at the end of the day, the better players, the better team should win. What I can't handle is for the outcome of a game to be determined by the quality of officiating. So the NFL better wish on their stars they better pray 
the night Wednesday night before the Thursday deadline for referees to opt out that not many of them do because if we have another round of replacement refs I think that will do more harm to the game to the league than not having a season at all I want to change it up a little bit I really had all the intentions in the world for this episode to be solely focused on the NBA because the NBA has been a glimmer of hope. It has been a ray of sunshine in an otherwise bleak sports world because, again, the MLB continues to struggle with the coronavirus. My Mets continue to break my heart and make me rip my hair out of my head. But the NBA has been very exciting. The bubble, I was nervous about, the bubble system has worked and they have produced entertaining, high-quality games. Now, last week, the NBA announced its finalist for NBA of this crazy, quirky season. I will get to the finalists in a little bit, but first I want to talk about what's wrong. The biggest problem with the most popular, the most coveted award in all of sports leagues. And that's the MVP, the Most Valuable Player Award. Did you hear me right? Did I say it slow enough? Most Valuable Player. However, the voters, the people who decide, no matter what the league it is, the voters the deciders on who gets award has now changed this to the best player in the league award. MVP should stand for most valuable player. Most valuable piece to a team. That difference, that crucial player that plays a major role between a team losing and the team winning. The difference between a losing team and a winning team. That impactful player that is the difference between making the playoffs or watching the postseason from home. Now the one sport I'll give a pass to is baseball. Because for one player to affect the game so much in which he's a sole batter in a lineup of nine. He only plays one position. It's tough. So baseball, I understand more so than other sports. However, still, even with baseball, just implement a best player award. I don't understand what's so hard about that. Why does MVP need to go from most valuable player to best player, best performer in the league? That doesn't make sense to me. Just because you are the best player doesn't mean you are the most valuable player to a team. It really upsets me. It really infuriates me. And just going back to football real quick because I started out as a broad topic on MVP. 
The fact that Russell Wilson has gotten zero MVP votes in his career shows you that there's something wrong with the voting system. There's something wrong with the people voting on this award. The fact that Dak Prescott has even one MVP vote is bad enough. But the fact that he has won more than Russell Wilson, give me a break. I actually... This is so funny because I wasn't even looking for this stat, but I was scrolling through Instagram and I found this stat from the account of Hawk Stats. In 2017, Russell Wilson accounted for 37 out of 38. That's 97% of the touchdowns scored on offense. He also led the team in rushing yards and TDs with 586 yards and three rushing scores. Since entering the league in 2012, the Seahawks have made the postseason every single year except for once since Russell Wilson was named the starting quarterback. After Marshawn Lynch departed, the Seahawks had no running game whatsoever a piss-poor offensive line, and the receiving core that, for the most part, made up of receivers that would be number three, number four receivers on the majority of other teams around the NFL. Guys like Paul Richardson, Doug Baldwin. And again, nothing... I'm not trying to insult those guys. I was big fans of them with the Seattle Seahawks. I'm just saying that... Russell Wilson carried that offense. He made players around him better. Not many quarterbacks do that in the National Football League. And the fact that he's never gotten a single, not even one MVP vote shows you that either the award needs to be renamed or there needs to be an overhaul in the voting process. I got a little bit off topic. Getting back to the NBA. I just love Russell Wilson so much. I really do. I think that he plays on a team that has gotten media attention the last decade or so. But more so for loudmouths like Richard Sherman who was part of the Legion of Boom for the Hollywood style of coach that Pete Carroll is Russell Wilson just shows up he doesn't complain he gets the job done time and time again and because he's a boring individual he doesn't get the attention that he deserves that is it I'm just saying Russell Wilson fan club. I think he is a top five quarterback easily and deserves multiple MVP awards under his belt. Back to my point. The NBA has announced its finalists for the MVP award. The finalists include, stop me if you've heard these names heard before. The first one is LeBron James. LeBron in year 17 at the age of 35, is averaging over 25 points per game, 8 rebounds, 
and currently on track for career high 10.3 assists per game really showing his versatility as a point guard even though he's the size of a middle linebacker out of those three finalists he has the best record as the lakers currently have a record of 51 and 18 and have already clinched the number one seed in the west james harden is averaging over 34 points per game six and a half rebounds and 7.5 assists per game he's on pace to win the scoring title for the third time of his career so obviously he's scoring the most out of the three finalists the rockets are currently the fourth seed in the west with a record of 44 and 25. last but not least the third finalist for the mvp award the player who won it last year the greek freak giannis Giannis is scoring just under 30 points per game. He's averaging 13.7 rebounds and 5.7 assists per game. He has shot the best of the three finalists, shooting just over 55% from the field. And the Bucks, his team, have already locked up the number one seed in the East and have a record of 55 and 15. And to many, the favorite to come out of the east and represent the east in the final so listen nothing against these three but we've heard their names before they have won the award before they're all deserving of an award but to say the most valuable player i can't say that for two of them I can't say it this year for two of them. And I'll give you my prediction, my favorite to win the award. But first, I want to throw out a couple of names that I feel should be more recognized, should be a possible finalist for this award. The first off, and listen, I have not been a big fan of this player. But I got to give credit where credit is due. Jimmy Butler of the Miami Heat. Last year, the Heat missed the playoffs with a record of 39-43. and 43. That was good enough for the 10th seed in the East. After signing Butler this offseason after he left Philadelphia, the Miami Heat find themselves as the 4th seed in the East and he leads the team in both points and assists. Luka Doncic. This is only his second season, but in year two, he went from averaging 21 points to almost 30 this season, while also increasing his assists and rebounds per game. Yes, the Mavericks are only the seventh seed in the West. However, if you took Doncic off that team, they would not have been invited to the bubble. And don't tell me, don't bring up Kristaps Porzingis. I'm a Knicks fan. I saw it 
well, I barely saw enough of him because he could barely stay on the court. But do not tell me that Porzingis would be able to carry that Mavericks team alone. Don Chick makes Porzingis better. Porzingis is now a solid number two option. He is not the face of the Mavericks. It is obviously, without a doubt, Doncic. Nikola Jokic, the Joker of the Denver Nuggets, he leads his team in points, assists, and rebounds per game. The Nuggets are a third seen in the West with a record of 46 and 24. He's averaging a double-double, 20 points per game and 10 rebounds per game to go along with seven assists per game. As a big man, without him, are we even talking about the Nuggets? Not only as a threat in the West, but at all. Seriously, would the Nuggets be relevant without the Joker? And finally, the last one. This is, again, more so a fan favorite. Similar to Russell Wilson. Damian Lillard. Honestly, Russell Westbrook is my favorite player in the NBA just because I love his passion, his intensity. But Damian Lillard has closed the gap. He's currently my number two favorite player. And again, similar to that to the guys that I mentioned, like Doncic, like Jokic. Are we even talking about the Blazers as an NBA team without Willard on that roster? Seriously, how I understand he missed a couple of clutch free throws a couple games back against the Clippers. But besides that, the man is money. And to me, he doesn't get enough attention. If you put him on the Golden State Warriors instead of Steph Curry, I think they win both of those finals that they lost. The one against the Cavaliers and then the one against the Raptors. I'm taking Lillard over Curry every single time. And that that might be the worst MVP award winner in history. The fact that Steph Curry, the man on the team with three other All-Stars, won the award. Not only won the award, but the first to do it unanimously. That is absurd. I would argue that he, during his, during the Golden State Dynasty, he was the third maybe even fourth most valuable player on that team. I think if you plug in a... I won't say a lot of the point guards around the league, but I could give you five other names that I think you could plug into that Warriors dynasty and they still win as many, if not more, than they did with Curry. I'm taking Lillard over him. I'm taking a healthy Kyrie over Curry. I would take a good amount of point guards over Curry with that style of team, with those caliber of players that they had on that dynasty. I think Steph Curry is one of the least deserving MVPs ever.
But getting back to this year's MVP debate. My favorite to win it all. And again, those guys that I named should be in the discussion more so than they are. The biggest problem against them is that either they don't play for a major market team, they care more about their production, their results, than their off-the-court brand. And frankly, they're just too boring for national attention. And it's a shame because those guys, to me, are more valuable to their team than two of the guys I'm going to mention in the finalist group. My favorite to win it is Giannis. To me, and I understand Chris Middleton is an all-star, but to me, without Giannis, the Bucks would be at best scrapping for a playoff spot. They might get in because the East is so much weaker than the West, but to me, they would be nowhere near the contender they are without Giannis. They would not be near the top without Giannis. He is working with the least around him. Both Harden and James, listen, both have had great seasons. Don't get me wrong. But here's the thing with them. I'll start with Harden, okay? James Harden is a product of today's NBA. If he played a couple decades back, he would be a nobody. He would have gotten the Jordan rules and folded. People would have laid him out once and he would have gotten shook. He would have been terrified to drive to the basket again. He is a product of today's NBA where you get breathed on and it's a foul where no one calls a travel anymore with his double step yes the team gives him the ball because they need him to score he puts up so many shots because the team needs him to score however if you dive deeper into his numbers you will find that in the 66 games he's played this season, he has only shot better than 45% from the field in less than half of those games. 31 to be exact. He's had all-star point guards to compliment him the last couple of seasons. Prior to this year, it was Chris Paul. This year, he actually got a fellow MVP, a former teammate, in Russell Westbrook. James Harden is not deserving of the most valuable player. And the thing that really irritates me about him is that he's so focused on the award. Hey, James, shut up and go out and win a championship. How about you shut up You forget about the award and you actually show up in the postseason. LeBron, on the other hand, listen, I am not one of those LeBron haters. I think it is remarkable what he has been able to do this year. I am not saying that the Lakers 
would have the number one seed in the West without LeBron James. All I'm saying is just because he's putting up great numbers at 35 years old does not boost or help his argument to win most valuable player. Because really, if we're going off numbers alone, Anthony Davis deserves to be a finalist as well for most valuable player. Davis is actually scoring. He's averaging more points and rebounds per game than LeBron James. Plus, the Lakers record without AD last season was 37-45 and and they missed the playoffs. Now, again, I'm not saying without LeBron James, the Lakers would be where they are now. I'm not saying that Davis is a more crucial piece to this Lakers roster than LeBron James is. Because we saw Davis being the main piece in New Orleans, and it's not like he ever... I understand that one year he got to the second round of playoffs, but it's not like they were a powerhouse with just Anthony Davis. I think that Davis and LeBron James complement each other perfectly. And I think it's a shared success. And you're not going to give two players on the same team co-MVP because then the award really wouldn't make sense. Now, something I wanted to mention earlier in my argument on why the MVP award has changed so much is that some of you might come back and say to me, oh, but Victor, look at Kawhi Leonard leaving the Raptors. The Raptors are still a powerhouse in the East without him. The MVP award, whether you agree with it or not, is a regular season only award. If it included postseason, James Harden would have never won it. But since it's a regular season award, you can't go off of the Raptors' success without Kawhi Leonard and saying he's not a valuable piece to a team. Because remember, the Raptors were a powerhouse in the East before the Kawhi Leonard trade with the tandem of Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. However, the combination of head coach Nick Nurse and Kawhi Leonard being that main piece brought them over the top, brought them over that hump, got that monkey off their back. Now, many of you are going to say that also LeBron James heading out west helped the fact. Maybe so. But Kawhi Leonard was the main piece that was able to bring the Raptors to the Holy Land. He was the most valuable piece to that team to bring them a championship. Until I see the Raptors win a championship without Kawhi you can't say I'm wrong you can't change my mind about that and the last thing about Kawhi Leonard if he wins a championship with his third team this season or even next season 
with the LA Clippers. If it doesn't happen this year, it doesn't happen. But if he wins another championship and has a stellar performance, he moves into my top five of all time and he inches closer to LeBron James and Michael Jordan and starts to get his name recognized in that debate. Just a couple more things about the NBA that I wanted to mention because, again, I've really been happy with the return of the NBA, the quality of product that they put out onto the court. I've absolutely loved the race for the eighth seed in the West. All those teams are playing good quality ball. The Phoenix Suns are still the only team left to be undefeated. A perfect 6-0 in the bubble. Devin Booker has really stepped up his game. I love what I'm seeing from Damian Lillard despite the two missed free throws against the Clippers. I love how he came out and held his own against Pat Beverly and Paul George. I'm Once again, I'm a big Dame Lillard guy and I couldn't agree with him more. I love Dame time and I really think that he will propel the Blazers into that final eighth seed. I think it will come down to them and the Memphis Grizzlies and I'm going with the hot hand. I'm going with Damian Lillard. I'm rooting for Carmelo. Do I think they're going to get far? No, but hey, if you're in it, you're in it. I'm also a big fan of the virtual fans the NBA has incorporated. It's so much more inclusive for the fans to be part of the game. I think it's cool to see on the television screen. And to me, it's a lot less creepy than the cardboard cutouts that baseball games have with fans sitting in their stadium. And it's still a goddamn shame that they made fans pay 89 bucks for those cutouts with how much money that league has. Quickly, a couple things I hate because nothing's perfect. The New Orleans Pelicans have done a couple things to really irk me. First, the way they handled Zion Williamson during crucial moments of critical games. They've already been eliminated from playoff contention. I couldn't disagree more with how they handled Williamson. I mean, come on, guys. He's a rookie Okay, if he's healthy, let him play. You want to talk about loan management? He just had three months off. Were you guys not aware about the stoppage of play? He had plenty of time to rest. He had plenty of time to get healthy. And you know what? Because of your poor decisions, because of Lionel Hollins not playing him down the stretch, you miss out on a playoff opportunity. And guess what? It only prolongs the development of your superstar because listen even in a weird year like this he could have gotten into high pressure situations he could have learned from it he could have gained experience if they won a couple of games down the stretch he could have been playing in meaningful playoff games and guess what the first time that he gets to the playoffs guess what we're gonna hear I don't know what to expect out of Williamson. He doesn't have a lot of experience under his belt. First time in the playoffs. He could have gotten some experience this postseason if you played him down the stretch. He is your best player on the court. You were always trying to win games. You were always aiming for the playoffs. It doesn't matter if 
It's a bubble game. It doesn't matter if it's a game in a quirky season like this one. It doesn't matter if it's the first game of next year. There's always a chance of him getting hurt. You can't live in fear. I think this would have been a great step in developing his career by him experiencing the playoffs. But no, instead you guys were cowards. You guys played it safe. And talking about cowards, how about Lonzo Ball getting his feelings hurt because Bleacher Report decided to tweet out his stats in the bubble. The man averaged 5.6 points per game, just over 5 rebounds per game, a little under 7 assists per game. He shot 26% from the field and shot under 20% from the three-point line. The Pelicans were 2-4 and four in Orlando. Again, that could have been a better record if they played Zion. But getting back to Ball, he clapped back with, and I quote, Make sure y'all post my shit next year too. Hashtag TMC, end quote. Listen, Lonzo, I'm sorry that your dad has been quiet recently and you haven't been getting a lot of attention. I am sorry your feelings hurt. I am very sorry that in the next couple of months you'll be forgotten about and the second best player in your own family because once LaMelo Ball is drafted by my Knicks, people will forget about you, including your dad. But get over yourself. How about you focus on your game and use it as motivation? And finally, to close out this extended edition of Old School of Sport, I have a double dosage of Boneheads of the Week. Just real quick, DeAndre Baker and Darius Guys. Listen, I don't know when NFL players will learn, but when you have accomplished as much as you have, when you have achieved your childhood dreams of making it to the NFL, of being a professional athlete, making as much money as you do. You don't have to break the law. DeAndre Baker, a cornerback from my New York Giants, just a couple of days ago was charged with four counts of robbery with a firearm. If found guilty, the punishment for robbery with a firearm is a mandatory minimum of 10 years and up to life in state prison. Apparently, it was an armed robbery of fake watches at a party. My man, you have enough money to buy out a watch store. I mean, gentlemen, I understand innocent till proven guilty, but the fact that Baker was even just even putting himself in that type of situation, you talk, you preach about a culture change, you want good guys, that was your whole basis on trading OBJ. How is DeAndre Baker still part of this team? And guess what? With Sam Beal opting out your secondary is getting very thin my friend you better make the right move and call logan ryan quick before you miss your opportunity darius geis on the other hand he turned himself in on domestic violence charges just a couple of days ago including one count of strangulation 
It's never okay to hit a woman. I don't care what profession you are. But when you're a professional athlete, how strong you are. I mean, strangulation. Come on, man. There's a special type of hell for you. For people like you. And he was released by the Redskins. They made a great decision. And again, listen, for both guys, if I am wrong, if both guys come back proven innocent, I will personally apologize on this podcast to both of them. But domestic violence is no joke, okay? And I I mean, from Ray Rice to Greg Hardy, you would think these guys would learn. And not even just domestic violence, but breaking the law in general, whether it was Plaxico Burris, Mike Vick. These guys work so hard and then blow it all away for dumb, stupid mistakes. Those two are my boneheads of the week. Thank you guys for tuning in to episode 3 of Old School of Sport. Follow me on Twitter at Victor Terry. Follow me on Instagram at Victor Terry. Look out for new social media pages for Old School of Sport. Until next time, my friends, thank you again very much for listening.